giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. What God wants husbands to know about their wives is the subject under consideration from that verse. What God wants husbands to know about their wives. Certain things about his wife that a husband must understand if he's going to be a good and a godly husband. Not only must he have a clear grasp of the nature of the marriage relationship, but he must be well aware of certain truths about his wife For the husband to ignore these realities about his wife is to court trouble. By design, God made a woman to be feminine, just as by design he made the man to be masculine. And there are certain characteristics in the constitution of men who are masculine and women who are feminine. Therefore, by bent of nature, a woman, your wife, is Delicate and fragile and tender and far more sensitive than you are. That's a fundamental truth that God wants every husband to know about his wife if he's going to dwell with her according to knowledge. Not only is he not to look upon her fault, her weakness as a fault, We saw that husbands are to look upon the weakness of their wife as something to honor. It's quite the opposite. He's not to view the husband, the Christian husband is not to view his wife's weakness, being the weaker vessel, as something that is dishonorable, but something he is to honor her for, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. It's because she's the weaker vessel and the husband is to love his wife in all of her weakness. Not humiliate her for her, her weakness, but actually honor her for it. Not despise her weakness, but show deference to it. Not despise it, but show deference. It's where this, there is this lack of honor that you'll find the husband. When he doesn't dwell with his wife, According to this knowledge that she is the weaker vessel, you'll find the husband to be domineering and harsh. There has been a complete failure to understand that she is the weaker, that should be valued for her weakness. Valued because of her sensitivity. Valued because of her fragility. It's amazing how much trouble is caused in a marriage just because the husband has been inconsiderate. Just inconsiderate. He has not stopped to think about his wife's constitution, that she is the weaker vessel, but he has plowed on like a bull in a china shop And the china has been shattered to pieces because he's been inconsiderate. He failed to consider 
as you think about the bull in the china the bull in the china shop doesn't really care that what's on the shelves is royal dalton doesn't care he just goes through and wreaks havoc if he just known the husband that his wife's like the royal dalton fine and delicate easily easily broken if you just be considerate of that yes let's let's get personal if we would just be more considerate of that it would save a whole lot of grief in our homes but as i said a moment ago there there are two truths about their wives that god wants every husband to know if he's going to dwell with his wife According to knowledge, not only must a husband know about his wife's constitution, but if he's going to love her as Christ loved the church, then he must know the truth about his wife's common inheritance. He must know the truth about her constitution, but he also must know the truth about his wife's common inheritance. The language of verse 7 indicates that not only are husbands to honor their wives because they are the weaker vessel, but because they are heirs together of the grace of life. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Honor her for those two reasons. Not only a Christian wife is weaker than her husband as far as her constitution goes, yes, but when it comes to her spiritual standing, she is on equal footing with her husband. When it comes to her spiritual standing, she is on equal footing with her husband. That spiritual standing is termed here as the grace of life, the grace of life, heirs together of the grace of life. The, the life to which Peter is referring, of course, is spiritual life, and spiritual life is eternal life. John 3.16, I'm sure most all of you, if not all, could quote it by heart, for God so loved the world. It's not he loved the world so much, that's not what the word so means. God loved the world like this, like so. For God so loved in this way, loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the life to which Peter is referring. Christ in John chapter 11 in his meeting with Mary and Martha, Jesus said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. So this is the life that Peter declares that both husband and wife have 
in their possession. Both of them have eternal life. Even though the husband is, a, is stronger than his wife, stronger physically, normally speaking, and stronger emotionally, normally speaking, even though he is the head of the home, he is the leader. He's the one God has placed in authority. And in that sense, he is superior. He must not think that he is above her in any way when it comes to her spiritual standing before God. He must not think, must not have an attitude at all that he is superior to her when it comes to their spiritual standing before God. The grace of life, notice, the grace of life. Everlasting life can only come through the grace of God. Grace is never earned. You can't work for it. It's not merited. It's always free. So whether it was the husband or it was the wife, they came into possession of eternal life through the grace of God, which took absolutely no notice of their sex, male or female. It had nothing to do with it. It played no role in their being made recipients of eternal life. That's why Peter says that they are heirs together, heirs together of the grace of God. The, 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 the translation heirs together is really, it's only one word in the original language, and it's a compound a word. One part of it is with, the other part is heir, with heir. It's only used four times in the New Testament. An heir is someone who has received uh, a designated and allotted possession by right of sonship. There's a he has a legal right to some possession that's been assigned, allotted to him by this relationship as a child. That, of course, is explained in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit itself or himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Ghost testifies inside that you're a child of God. He, he, he sheds forth the love of the Father in your heart. And because he does that, you cry as a child, Abba, Father. There is an understanding you have because of the Holy Ghost work in you. Regeneration and sanctification that I belong to God. He is my Father and I'm one of his children the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs. There's our term now. Same term. Joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs. Christ, the Son of God. And through salvation, regeneration, we have been placed into this family with all the rights of sonship and therefore we have become joint heirs, fellow heirs, heirs together with Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, well, you, you, you and your wife, you both have eternal life. 
You both have the same eternal life. It's, it's, it's not different. It's genuine, real, eternal life. It's the life of God. It's the life of Christ in your souls. And you both came to it the same way. You came to it by grace. It was freely given. And you are a joint heir with the same Christ. Therefore, honor your wife as your equal when it comes to your spiritual standing. Honor your wife. Respect her as your equal. You're the head. But buddy, when it comes to your spiritual standing, you are on the same level. You are not above her. Don't ever let that thought enter your mind because it will warp your attitude. It will definitely negatively impact how you treat your wife. Again, when Paul said they're joint heirs with Christ, there's something very important that husbands need, need to remember as they think about obeying Christ's command to love their wives as he loved the church, if they're going to dwell with them according to knowledge, that joint heirs with Christ, that speaks of, of every believer's union, his spiritual union with Jesus Christ. Joined to him. Connected. Uh, uh, unbreakable connection. Spiritual. But can't be dissolved. So the Christian wife is as much in Christ as her husband. It does not matter about Scripture than his wife. It does not matter when it comes to her union with Christ. She is as much in Christ as he is. It doesn't matter if he is more advanced in his prayer life than his wife. It matters not at tuppence. When it comes to the union, the spiritual union that she has in Christ. They're on the same footing. They're a joint heir. They've both been placed in Christ. And if the husband's going to dwell with his wife, according to knowledge, then he's going to realize that truth and respond to that truth that his wife is his equal. And he will honor her as his equal. Yes. The husband is quite happy and right in singing. Glory I'm saved. Glory I'm saved. My sins are all pardoned. My guilt is all gone. But if he dwells with his wife according to knowledge. He'll also be quite happy to say, glory, she's saved. Her sins are all pardoned. Her guilt is all gone. Glory, she's saved just like me. I therefore be, be very, very careful that I don't look down my long nose at my wife because she is a weaker vessel because she's more sensitive, because she's more fragile, because she's not strong in faith like I am. 
because she's so easily moved, it seems, by trouble. Just better pull yourself up. Stop for a moment. We're joint heirs. We have the same standing, the same salvation. She's no higher than I am. But even going beyond the fact that husbands should honor their wives as their equals when it comes to their spiritual understanding, is there not something here that goes beyond the mere recognition of what is our duty? What is there that can have a stronger bond to our duties as husbands, or as wives for that matter, and what can more strongly bind our hearts together than the fact that we are heirs together of the grace of life? What, what is stronger than that? It's when husbands and wives lose sight of this truth that the door is open for trouble. You, you began your journey together with a large portion of people in this world, with a large portion of what I would call natural love. You were attracted to her. She was attracted to you. You enjoyed being in each other's company. You hated to hang up the phone and say goodbye or you had to say goodnight. You just wanted to spend all the time in the world together. Natural love, attraction, emotional, physical, mental maybe. You concluded that such was this love that you wanted to live the rest of your lives together. You couldn't live apart. But as high as natural love may rise, in some husbands and wives, it falls very short of the love that's found only in joint heirs with Christ. It falls far short of this kind of love. It's only found in joint heirs with Christ. The love that comes with youth and beauty will fade if that's all that it is when youth and beauty fades won't last. I fear there are many who have married because, well, because they were in love with the idea of being married, not really in love with the one they married. They just wanted to be married. I think worst of all is the quote-unquote love that arises more from the desire to be loved than to love. That's a big distinction. A desire to be loved, exceeding the desire to give love. That kind of love always spells trouble because it's the very opposite of what true love is about. True love is always about giving. Not taking. Peter is telling Christian husbands and wives how to, how to go about treating each other 
with love and respect. It's both of them. Yet wives, submit to your husbands. Honor them. Call them, not literally, call them Lord. My wife has not started calling me Lord yet in the house. But it's showing respect. He's the head. He calls the shots. I might not like it, but you know, after all, if that's what he wants, that's what he wants. And the husband respects the wife. Honors her for the weakness that's her by hers by creation. And honors her because she's one with him when it comes to her standing. All of his focus, if you'll just step back and get a bird's eye view, as he's dealing with these intricacies of the marriage relationship, all of his focus has been on spiritual realities. All of his focus has been upon spiritual realities. He reminds the Christian wife about her spiritual life. As she thinks about her marriage, he puts front and center her own spiritual life. She's supposed to live before her husband, mindful of needing a chaste uh, what's the word he uses? I, I'm thinking about the word that I that I know. Uh, uh, chase conversation, not talk, but conduct, holy behavior. That's what he puts his attention on as he's dealing with marriage. He, he reminds her of her inner spiritual life, the hidden man of the heart about her, her, her need to adorn herself with a meek and quiet spirit. This is, this, is, this is spirituality. The spirituality of the Christian wife. Surely you understand that the more spiritual the wife is, the more she's going to honor her husband. The more spiritual she is, the more submissive she is. The more carnal she is, the more rebellious she's going to be. The long and the short of it. His emphasis is upon the spiritual life. He reminds the Christian husband about the spiritual reality of how God made his wife. And of their oneness, their equality as joint heirs of the grace of life. Peter is just honing in on spiritual motives and spiritual behavior and spiritual methodology when it comes to the home. You see, Peter has brought God into the picture. Peter has brought God into the marriage. Have you? That's the question. Have you? brought God into the situation. In describing the Christian couple who live in this light, Archbishop Layton, 18th century, makes this comment, loathe Will they be to despise one another that are both bought with the precious blood of one Redeemer and loath to grieve one another? 
being in him brought into peace with God, they will entertain true peace between themselves and not suffer anything to disturb it. They have hopes to meet one day where there is nothing but perfect concord and peace. They will therefore live as heirs to that life here and make their present state as like to heaven as they can and so a pledge and evidence of their title to that inheritance of peace which is there laid up for them. Loathe, loathe to do anything that would interrupt that. The brighter that light shines, the more the emphasis is upon the spiritual realities of the marriage and the spiritual life of husband and wife, the more there'll be this Strong reticence to allow those things that get in the way. Long story short is the more spiritual the marriage, the more happy the marriage. And there's no getting away from it. That's just the bottom line. The more spiritual the husband, the more he's going to honor his wife as he should. The more spiritual the wife, the more she's going to honor her husband as he should. So in other words, what I'm saying is, where there is this living in light of the knowledge and what, what, what Peter is now emphasizing, the wife will submit to her husband. And the husband will honor his wife as the weaker vessel. It's a spiritual issue. Always has been. You can, you can do a lot of playing around with this and that and other things and saying, here's the problem, here's the problem. It's not the problem. It's obvious from what Peter writes in this text that with this kind of honor, this kind of love and respect will only be found where the husband and wife are both saved. Only there. It can't happen in an unequal yoke of a believer married to an unbeliever. And it certainly isn't going to happen to a case where both are unbelievers. What's he say? Heirs together of the grace of life. They have both been saved. Both have everlasting life. Both of them are Christians. A husband and wife who are not saved will not be able to honor each other in the way that Peter described here. This is something that's very spiritual. They will only be able to act in a carnal way because that's all they have is carnal. The flesh is all they know. And so all the attempts are made to deal with the problems in the marriage from that standpoint. And they never ever get to the issues, which are always spiritual. They may experience that natural love that can occur between a man and a woman and rise to a very high degree that love can, but they cannot experience the kind of love that's on display in First Peter chapter 3. They cannot experience that kind of love. It's foreign to them. They're, they are incapable of that kind of love because it's a love that proceeds from the Holy Spirit from spiritual life. All of the 
Marriage counseling in the world is not going to fix their marriage difficulties. The problems are spiritual in nature and can only be remedied by a spiritual solution. You can talk all day long about recognizing the differences between men and women. You can buy the book and give to your spouse. Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. You can read much learned documentation on um, conflict resolution. But the the bottom line truth is it will never get to the root of the matter. Never. The root of the matter is that until they are made one in Christ, they will never actually be made one spiritually as husband and wife. That's just the fact. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Just because the husband... And the wife, our Christians, doesn't mean they never experience trouble. They do. Some more, some less. But as there are no perfect Christians this side of heaven, there are no perfect marriages, Christian marriages this side of heaven. But the difference is that if they're saved, they're both in Christ. They both have the Holy Spirit. And they both believe the word of God. And they both have the throne of grace to go to. They both have an honest desire. If they're saved, they both have an honest desire to please the Lord. And they both have the promise that God's grace will enable them to work through any trouble. Bottom line. You see, the truth Peter is stating here is that Christianity alone makes for a truly happy home. In the marriage where Christ and his gospel reign, there you'll find a happy marriage. I don't say it will always be a home without badness or without sadness. It's still two sinners who said, I do, one day. But the more the Lord's word is obeyed, the more his will is sought, the more his fellowship is experienced, the happier and holier the marriage will be. You'll never, ever get away from that bottom line truth. Ever. There may well be poverty in that home and discouragements disappointments, sickness and cares, crosses and losses. But there will be peace. And that's because there will be love. There will be a remembering. There's a brighter and a better world coming. If I have lost everything in this life, There's another life coming. There's a happier day coming. And I'm living in light of that day. You take that away, 
There is nothing, no amount of money in the bank, no degree of excellent health, no trouble-free life that's going to bring happiness and contentment to that marriage. They can have everything the heart could ever wish, but they won't have a happy marriage. There's no other way for husbands to dwell with their wives or wives with their husbands than this. Not rightly before God. There is no other way. There's one final thing. Just uh, the Holy Ghost emphasizes how vital this is. One final thing to note with regards to what husbands and wives need to know with regards to honoring each other. If they don't, Peter says, their prayers are going to be hindered. If they don't, your prayers will be hindered. Most commentators believe that Peter is applying this to both husband and wife. It's like a concluding statement at the end of it all, especially since the last thing he talks about is they are heirs together of the grace of life. It's like a summary statement. The long story short is that if this honor that is due the husband and that is due the wife is not shown, then it's going to have an adverse effect on prayers being answered. It's very true that when through failure to heed this instruction, whether it's the wife or the husband, the strife and the conflict that arises can be a real deterrent to our prayer lives. When you're agitated or you're angry or you're hurt, you're usually in no mood to pray. You don't feel like praying. You're too mad, you're too sad, you're upset. The husband has not been honored by his wife, or the wife has not been honored by her husband, and it sort of kills the prayer life. It's understandable. But the term that Peter uses is much more devastating than that. Hindered. It has the thought of cutting in or interrupting. Getting in the way. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul, Paul uses that same term to refer to Satan blocking their plans to coming to the church in Thessalonica. Satan hindered us. We, we were coming, but Satan hindered us. He interrupted what we wanted to accomplish. He cut into our plans. And we couldn't come. In Galatians 5, 7, Paul wants to know who had hindered the Galatian, there's the term, hindered you from obeying the truth. They had gone off the rails. 
believing something quite opposite of what Paul had taught them in the gospel. He warned, who's hindered you that you would obey not? Who's cut in? Who's interrupted? Who's prevented you? So in other words, our relationship with our spouse can have a very detrimental effect on our prayers being answered. Oh, we may pray and ask God for this and that, but the prayers keep getting interrupted. Our unconfessed and unrepented of sin cuts in. Interesting. I I lived at a time, yes, they had phones when I was a kid, not that old. I lived at a time when they had the party line. You were uptown if you had a private line. For the longest time we had a party line. And you'd be on the phone talking away and then the other party's on your line would pick up and that conversation you were having got interrupted. Somebody cut in. There's a picture of the believer going to God to talking to God and praying about this and that. But there's something that cuts in. It interrupts. In other words, the message doesn't get through to the point where it's answered. It's not acceptable. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I hold on to iniquity, I know it's there. I know it's sin. If I hold on to that and I won't turn from it, the Lord will not hear me. My prayers are hindered. They're interrupted. The Lord Jesus Christ, did he not teach this very thing in Matthew chapter 5? If thou bring thy gift to the altar, bringing it to the altar as part of worshiping God, honoring the Lord, praising God, and there, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift because you're wasting your time otherwise. It's a waste of time. It's interrupting your worship. Where there is constant bickering, a spirit of an atmosphere of irritability, harsh looks, unkind words, an unwillingness to forgive and to move on, a refusal to submit to your husband or to honor your wife as the weaker vessel, you're going to find a stoppage in the pipeline to heaven. You and I are going to find a stoppage in the pipeline to heaven. And that would lead me to believe if I am not seeing prayers answered, I had better be asking myself, is there something in the pipeline that's stopping this? Is there something in how I am dealing with my spouse that's hindering my prayers from being answered? What other conclusion can you come to from what Peter is saying in verse 7? How, how can two 
pray together, let alone walk together, if they be not agreed, if they're not in harmony. You see, that's why the Holy Spirit said, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Never. Let it go down on your wrath. Keep short accounts. Honor one another. It's the only way to have a happy and holy marriage. The, 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 the picture of Zacharias and Elizabeth come to mind. An old couple, been married for years. Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Here's how the Holy Ghost described them. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. A godly old couple. A godly old couple. Powerful, powerful tool in the Lord's hands. It was this godly old couple that had the joy of bringing John the Baptist into the world. Isn't that what we want? I mean, this happy, holy marriage that is useful to the kingdom in the world? Well, I'm sure it's what you want. And Peter said, here's how you go about getting it. The Lord write his word on our hearts for his namesake. Let's all bow in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the plain teaching of Scripture. We're not left wandering, Lord, about what thy will is. And what we ask thee now for is the kind of understanding of the truth that actually transforms us, an understanding of the book that leaves us wanting to go the way of God and not to go the way of the flesh. Help us as husbands to honor our wives and help our wives to honor us as husbands. Lord, we do want to be, we want our marriages to be powerful examples to a world that knows nothing about the love of God. Encouragements to each other in the church. We pray for grace that to be so. May there be that godly living at home that others can look up to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.